When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hoop Du Jour with moi, Peter Vesey, presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Well, Peter and I are back for week two after the rousing reception and the fact that we were not canceled after week one. But <laughs> as, as much as it galls me, and it does gall me on several levels to pay you a compliment, Uh-oh. Uh, if you judge someone by the company they keep, once again, you went to the well and you uh, you found you found yourself grade A material. It's uh, yeah, Julius Irving the first the first week and uh, and now Oscar Robertson the second week and uh, yeah, it, it just it's going to keep getting better and better if that's possible. I you know I just I can't say it enough. I know people say you know I'm a hard I'm a hardcore guy and uh, you know that how could I how could I actually be in awe of uh, of players that I covered, but, but I do. And that's why I'm, I'm doing these podcasts. And that's why I'm doing the blog about the retired players. I, I do so respect them. And I'm so privileged to be able to talk to them. One of, one of the, um, uh, the leads that you had written, um, it doesn't seem that long ago, but I guess theoretically it was, was when you talked to Wilt and Wilt had said from out of the blue said to you, don't ever let him forget how good we were. He said great. How great we were. Yeah, he said great. Yeah, we were we were receiving an award up at uh, up in Harlem and uh, I was shocked that he showed up actually and there he was and having a great time and we were watching uh, old all-star guys play like uh, Dean Meminger and Tiny Archibald and Earl Manigault and yeah, and out of the blue he he just said to me and he says you you're one of the few guys that's that's seen you know, everybody play back in the day, and now you're still writing. And that's when he said, "Don't ever let them forget how great we were." And, and I, uh, I, I was, I was astounded that he said it, and 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 so so honored that he said that to me. Yeah. And I've kept it up. And then 13 months, or I think it was 13 months later, he died, and that was the last time I spoke to him. So, um, yeah, very very meaningful stuff, Frank. And again, uh, before we. Um, get get into Oscar. There is no better example uh, of don't ever uh, forget how great someone was, because this man at every level, high school, college, pro, if there was anybody better, you'd be hard pressed to find them. Yeah, I mean, people will say Michael Jordan, of course, and and, uh, and they, they probably are right there. But what bothers me, Frank, is that uh, when you, you know, when I was first covering, you know, the, the best guards were, were West and Oscar. You know, the centers were, were Wilt and Russell, and the best forward was, you know, Elgin and and then and then Rick Barry and 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 Hunt and Havlicek. But now today, you look back, and they don't they don't even make the top no. ten. Some of them, some of them don't. Some of them do. Some of them don't. But uh, you know, it was you know Oscar, Oscar and West were replaced by Jordan and Magic. Fair, fair enough. 
But then they're on the second team. Don't tell me they're on a third team. No. Okay. The league, the, the league has not been around that long, and we're <laughs> now in year seventy-five. Right. That uh, they've been they've been kind of pushed to the kiddie table. They're still at the adult table. Right. Right. And uh, uh, you'll hear from Oscar, and and again, um, uh, for yeah. those who are not familiar, just take a look at the resume. Let's bring him in. Let's bring in Oscar. Oscar, my friends. <laughs> you know, it seems like it's fifty years since I've been interviewing you but actually it's longer than that wow. <laughs> we go back we go back to the early 70s but i'm going to take you back first of all to the first time that i saw you play i was a freshman in high school and i got a ticket to a game at the garden and i went to see cincinnati play seton hall and i had not heard of you i apologize that's all right and you got <laughs> And you, and you uh, lit up Seton Hall for 56 points, actually outscored the whole team 56 to 54. And that was my first impression of you. What was your first impression of being in, playing in Madison Square Garden? Well, naturally, playing a basketball player, you, you heard so much about, the, about Madison Square Garden and, uh, and all the great legacy that it had. And all, even all the great writers, Lapchick and Fuzzy, Fuzzy Levine and all the player coaches and players who were there. And a friend of mine from my high school named Willie Gardner got a small short time with the Knicks. So so that's how I heard about Madison Square Garden. And I must tell you, to be honest, when I walked from my hotel, the Manhattan Hotel, up up to 49th Street, and I I, I was with, with my with my roommate, I said, Is this the garden? <laughs> a little dilapidated, wasn't it? It's like a big, like a big hay barn. <laughs> and they, you know, then you you go in, you go inside, Peter, and and the uh, the baskets had long guide wires holding them up from the from the top of the arena. Right. And, and sometimes when you got ready to shoot a free throw, someone would get on the guide wire and shake it. Oh, shake it! Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the betters. One of the betters there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> you know, Oscar Willie Gardner, if I'm if I recall, uh, had a heart problem, right? He did. He had a heart problem, so he couldn't play with the Knicks at all. Great athlete in high school, and played with the Globe Brothers for quite a few years, and then he then they sold him to the Knicks, and that's when it ended for him. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in my my boy my castigator my column castigator Frank Drucker. He wants to start you off with a question uh, regarding regarding the Bucks. Okay, go right ahead. And Oscar, first of all, it's a pleasure, but more so this season because uh, we're now at 50 years since the Bucks, the Bucks won their first, and we're still sitting at one uh, NBA title. And I guess looking back on that season, you guys went, what, 66 and 16. I did a little research. You reeled off a 20-game win streak, a 16-game win streak, and a 10-game win streak. Then you win... 12 or 14 in the playoffs. And it seemed at that point that you guys were a dynasty in the making. But the title yeah. number sits at one. Yes. Why, why weren't there more? Because we didn't win. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you had the talent. Well, we did and we didn't. You know, I'll tell you why. I've thought about this many, many times. Even when this, this incident happened, which I will tell you about. After we won the championship, they traded a starter, Greg, Greg Smith. 
They traded Bob Boozer back up forward, Dick Cunningham back up forward, and McCoy McLemore back up forward. They traded all those guys from our championship team who were so instrumental in us winning away from us. They brought up, they brought in all new guys. And at that point, I told I told someone that was a friend of mine that we like we can't win anymore. But you came you came really close at yeah. seventy four. I well, mean, right down to the seven games. I mean, I, look, Frank and I have, have studied Game Six at at Boston Garden, and uh, so we have many many uh, uh, memories from that, including yeah. uh, or spect- you know highlighted by by Kareem's hook to win it. Tell me what you remember about Game Six, and then that seven game series. It was a very tenuous game. Uh, two, I would say two great basketball teams going back and forth, and some good athletes. But the one, th- the one thing that Milwaukee missed was Lucius Allen. I don't know if you know it or not, but Lucius Allen had gotten hurt at the end of the season, and he couldn't play in the playoffs at all. He slipped on a towel, didn't he? Uh, something like that, and I think, I think. His lack of speed in our game at the, at the other four, the guard spot really hurt us because they were double teaming me all night. And, you know, and, and so I'm trying to get the ball to other people and whatnot. But if we had him, like, you know, it might have been better, but you never know. You know, they beat us. And that's, so that's the way it goes. You know, it, what else don't matter anymore? Yeah. Well, Havlicek had four unbelievable shots that, that in the overtime, second overtime. You had a, you had a couple field goals. Um, who was who it? Uh, Davis had an unbelievable – Mickey Davis had an unbelievable uh, field goal. But then Kareem Kareem wins it. I mean, that shot is not talked about enough today. Or we don't, They don't talk about the uh, the old days at all today. But uh, well, <laughs> They wouldn't talk about that shot because it happened in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but really, that was his signature shot, sky hook. And you look at the way he was so dominant with the skyhook in those days. Why none of these other players who come along now can even even get come close to shooting that shot? Why do you think? Why do you think it's such it's such an unstoppable shot? I think the way the college game has evolved, and that it's it's a it's a zone. Uh, coaches want to eliminate any kind of possibility of making mistakes. Then they either shoot an outside shot, three point shot. Or are you going? Are you going inside, inside to a, to make a dunk? But but Kareem being seven foot two had a, had a distinct advantage against a lot of players, but not all because some guys were just as tall as he was and real good defensive players. But he had an advantage over some of the players. Oscar, when you joined him in, in uh, when you were traded, first of all, why why were you traded? Why why did Cincinnati give you up? Was there was there a problem between you and Kuzi? Or was just Embry? Embry wanted you so bad, ex-teammate. What did Wayne tell you? Uh, I haven't spoken to Wayne in a, in a few years. I have to go back a ways. Yeah, you, you, you ask him about it, he'll tell you what happened. <laughs> well, well, we'll get him on again. But you mean how, why he got you or how he got you? Well, uh, you know, I, I, at Cincinnati, you know, they uh, they decided that I wasn't any good anymore. Uh, that they had they had this this effort. To discredit my basketball ability, and and uh, and and it was got to a point where it was just like a smear campaign against Oscar Robertson, and and all I all I did, Peter, I just made all pro ten straight years, you know, top five, and and, and, and but but because they wanted to move the team to Kansas City, 
from Cincinnati. They thought they could have more hot dog sales in the 19,000 seat arena than they had in Cincinnati, right. and they got Bob, they got Bob Cousy to, to, to trade all the players away. Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew there was some friction there. I didn't realize that they had a smear campaign going against you. Uh, oh yeah. Yes, so Embry, Embry was your was your teammate, um, and then he was able. So he was the first black general manager in the NBA, and he was able to get you pretty cheap. Well, yeah, I, I, I guess I was in, in terms of the way basketball is, is, uh, is paying out salaries. I was pretty cheap. Well, I mean, as far as what they gave up for you, I mean, they, like you said, all pro ten years, now they were able to get you pretty, well, pretty this amazing. Is what, this is what I mean, Peter. They had, they had, they didn't care about anyone else going back to the wall. They just wanted me out. Really. And and uh, and and you know and you know and obviously. They didn't read my contract because I had a no, I had a no, I had final say over trades and whatnot, and they were really upset when they found that out. What did, what did that cost them? It didn't cost them anything. It just, it just like egg on their face because they should have known this. And yeah. instead, instead, instead of going to the, the press and 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 saying that oh I haven't done anything and you know I didn't like Cincinnati and, and all these things like this, they should have they should have taken that into into consideration and say listen and come to me as a as 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 a man. And say, hey, look, Oscar. You know, we feel it'd be best for Cincinnati and best for you that we move you to another team. And I would have said, oh, what? Okay, let's let's talk about this and get this resolved then. You know, Oscar, I, I've done a lot of research, and as much as I know you uh, over the years, uh, I, I found out things I never knew before. One of them, one of them is, is that in 1967, when the ABA began. Uh, the ABA was really in pursuit of you and, and, and to, to the point where uh, a writer from Indianapolis and your high school coach would go to your house and, and recruit you. How, uh, close, how close did that come? That, uh, that didn't happen. I got a call from uh, the guy who was a president, president of, the, of the Pacers. and I knew him very well, and he asked me, he wanted me to come over and play, play for the Pacers. But you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to pay me any money. <laughs> and he, th he thought I would do it just, so I, just because I was, I was from Indianapolis. But right. you know, it was difficult times then. You know, they were they they did they they, they got a, they got a fair amount of good players on the on the ABA teams. And after a while, they, they saw they couldn't make it alone, so this is why they, they tried to merge together. But yeah, I, I talked to Storin was his name, I believe. Mike Storin, yeah. Mike Storin, he's the one that called me and talked to me about it. But no one else really tried to recruit me to go over there. Just okay. some of the guys. I, and some of the guys I knew in the city that I played against wanted me to come back, but that was, that was about the extent of it. But then, then Cincinnati gave you a hundred thousand dollars, from what I read. They gave you a new contract, and that was the end of that. But, but, but Oscar Storin, you you recommended a Roger Brown to yes. Mike Storin. How in the world did you ever know about Roger Brown? He wasn't playing pro ball; he was playing in Dayton AAU ball. How did you know about him? Well, actually, I, one night in the garden, I saw this all-star game, Roger Brown, Connie Hawkins, Bill Shimanuski, George Wilson, and a couple other ball players, And that's where I first saw Roger Brown play. Uh, then he had a short term at the University of Dayton. We have been for a while. We used to play pickup games in the summer. The guys from Cincinnati would go to Dayton. Dayton would come down to Cincinnati. We went back and forth. So that's how I got to know Roger. And then when Mike Storm was trying to Trying to sign me as listen. I said, I'll tell you what, I said, I got a guy that you ought to go and take a look at. He'd be great for your team. 
And, that, and that's, that's how I got there. Said it was the best advice he ever got, and it was free advice. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, you know, you know, just, you know I, mean, I, I just thought it would be the best for the Pacers since uh, they needed a forward of Roger Brown's caliber, and, uh, and he really played well for them. You know, he did a great job. I mean, how how good do you think Roger would have been had he not been blackballed for six, seven seasons? I mean, to me, he was one of the greatest forwards I've ever seen play. Very good. About six, five and a half. You know, outside player could dribble, make the pass, shoot the shot, go to the basket, jump like crazy. You know, he was he was just an all around basketball player. Remind you a little bit of, of Elgin Baylor, but but he wasn't he wasn't as strong. Elgin had a lot more strength than he did. Mm-hmm. But but, but it, so so it was different different kind of player, but. Roger could send you up and go around you, shoot the jump shot. He just had a real good knack, had a good knack of the game. He had, he had an experienced knack of, of the game from his from head position. Right. You know, um, I've talked to Jerry West about uh, how he had a difficult time breaking into the NBA. And he, he's, always, he's always gushing about how you had no, no problem in transition from college to pro. So I looked up your first game as a pro. Do you, do you have any idea what you did your first game against the Lakers? No, I don't, I don't know what happened. I I it, was, it, was a tri- it was a triple-double. Oh. Your first game, Oscar. And they, and now, they, didn't, they didn't even tell me. Ah, well, you know, there was no, so we know there was no such thing. It was no such term in those days. But how, you know, it's, it's amazing over the years how that's become such a uh, – Signature for you know for Westbrook, uh, etc. But he still hasn't caught you. Well, I, I think he will, and I've been glad when he does because I think he's a tremendous basketball player, an athlete. And I and I tell you, and I think it's I think it's really a, it's really something that that that, uh, that sports writers are sort of are sort of getting on him and saying he didn't do this, he didn't win the championship, and the kids all they're doing is playing MVP basketball every night. Oscar, how, why was it so easy for you to make a transition while while Jerry West, who was comparable to you in college, had a difficult time? Half a season it took him. It wasn't that easy, I tell you. You know, I, I've thought about this quite a bit over the years. I've talked to a few of my fans, and I, I really respect their basketball knowledge about. <laughs> when I came to Cincinnati, uh, I, I got into a situation with the Cincinnati Royals. When I got down there, Peter, the, the, the competition – doing practice was not great. Uh, they had players on the team. This were not great basketball, were not very good pro basketball players. And coming from Indiana, my competition I had there, and especially outdoors, playing against older guys and, and all the high school games, pressure games I played in out of Butler Fieldhouse up there, sell-out games and playing in two state finals, it, it, sort, it sort of gears you, gets you ready for those types of things. So I wasn't I wasn't nervous or anything, but what I what I realized is that they wanted me, fresh out of college, to carry this team, to, you know, to win for this team. And I, I and to be honest, I mean, when I got a lot, I thought that was just really unfair. Right. Because you know, I mean, I'm glad I was able to do it because because you know, I, I I evolved into the situation. But 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 can you imagine that? You know, to ask a, a rookie. Although I, I played well in college, you know, I, I think I, I think many of us prepared for it. But the, the Royals should have, should have, should have made some other adjustments in order, in order, in order for, for me to get have more help. Maybe we could have done better, apparently. 
Well, I mean, little lady, you had Jerry Lucas. You had you had a heck of a team for a while. A lot of a lot of good players. What do you think would have happened if uh, if if you stuck there long enough for to play with Maurice Stokes? I've always said this, and I'll I'll tell you again for people to understand how I felt about Maurice Stokes. He was a tremendous, tremendous basketball player. I don't think if you look at if you look at Zion Williamson today, other than the dunks. You look, you look at Maurice Stokes, how he could dribble the ball and, and go around people. Now, now, Zion has much more jumping ability than Maurice Stokes did. But Maurice Stokes, his first year in basketball, averaged 17 points and 17 rebounds. Went to St. Francis, Francis College, and, and he is a, a person who played in the holiday festival one year. They, they wound up in fifth place, but he was the MVP of the, of the, of the festival. I didn't that's, know what that. people, that's what people thought about him. Right. I did not know that. I, yeah. I, I don't think I saw him play in that festival, but I saw you play in, uh, I believe, the festival against Tom Smith. Yes, we did. We played uh, St. Bonaventure, <laughs> played, played Iowa, St. Joseph, and one other team. I think it, I think it went four basketball games to win, it, win that top championship. But it was, it was a good tournament. Those tournaments were great in those days because in New York was the center of all of basketball. And all the all the, all the greats of the, and the fans, Peter, you know, the fans go there. They enjoy basketball. Right. Not like a, not like a, not like a lot of places I played in the NBA. When no matter what you did, they boo you. You know, it, it's funny how things stick out in your mind. I bring up Tom Stith. Probably nobody in the audience ever heard of him, but he was a an unbelievable player. St. Francis Prep in, in in Brooklyn, and then St. Bonaventure, as you said. And then and then he he got sick, and then he got in a car accident. But I saw him. I'll play you for a half in that tournament, and I believe you got forty or something in the second half. <laughs> Do you remember that game? No, I, no, I think I, I think you beat him. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you, know, him. Of fact, you know, he didn't even make the Olympic team. Yeah, well, I mean, in nineteen sixty. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought he should have made it, but, but I'm just one person. I didn't have I didn't have a voice in it whatsoever in picking the team. Well, let, let's go. Let, that's a good transition. Let's go to that Olympic team, 1960. You know, everybody talks about the 92 team being the dream team. I've always said that uh, your team was the original dream team, only it was amateur. Again, you, Jerry West, Bellamy, Lucas, Boozer, Avian Smith. Um, who am I missing? Terry Dishinger from Terry Holt. Right? Al, Al Kelly and Bertie Halverson. I looked up Burnett today. I looked him up today. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> can, you, can you just tell people about him a little bit? He's one of 11 guys that played on two U.S. Olympic teams. Yes. And I never heard of him until till I looked him up. <laughs> well, Bernie was a good college player from Colorado, and he was with the AAU team uh, that we, we competed against at the, uh, at the classic out in Denver. And he, he made the team along with Boozer, Al Kelly, and Les Lane. Good, 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 good player, good post player, but he he, he didn't have he didn't have the, the play for, for Walt Bellamy. I must tell you, Walt Bellamy was outstanding, and I must tell you, Walt Bellamy, a player that we uh, got on the Olympic team through Pete through Pete Newell's efforts, because the uh, AAU, which was very very strong in those days, didn't want to take Walt Bellamy on the team. 
Well, I, I recall that uh, Walt stayed an extra year at Indiana so he could maintain his amateur status so he could play in the Olympics, correct? No, that was Bob Boozer. Boozer stayed no, no, no. Bellamy did that. He definitely did it. Yeah, no, Bellamy, Bellamy was, was a sophomore when I was a senior. Right. So Bellamy was, he was behind me. Bellamy came up. He was a sophomore when he got on the team to try for the Olympics. I was a senior. All right, I'll, I'll slouch corrected for the moment. Yeah, <laughs> but tell but, but Oscar, but, what about what about that team versus the 90, 92 team? I mean, you can't well, call the ninety two team and the old dream team when you when you guys what you had. Well, you know, you know, see what happens over the years, Peter. You get you get the press involved in, in the situation, and it's all it's all blown out of proportion. It's like it's like apples and oranges, you know. Uh, we had a very good basketball team. Um, I think Mars and Victory was 34 points. And, and the kind of guys said, because they had Michael Jordan, Magic, Larry Bird. You know, do, I, do I think they could have played them better than us? No, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, so they, they went out of season. So they did. Oscar, how do you think you would play in today's game? At 82, not very good. Why? At 82 years old. No, you could still do it, Oscar. Come on. <laughs> no, you, no, you can still. No, wait. You can back people even better now. They can't put their hands on you. Well, you know, I, I was weaned on playing one-on-one basketball, Peter, uh, out, of, out in the parks in my early days and, and when I was in high school. I think that, uh, that in, anyone today who, who can dribble with the basketball and has some, have some, some abilities and can shoot fairly well can play professional basketball. Because if you look at the if you look at the good player, uh, you know they talk about Curry's shooting. Curry is a, is a heady, very smart basketball player. If you look at him play, he knows the game. He knows where people are, and they just can't cannot contain him. They can't contain his three point shot, and he can go to the basket almost any time he will. He knows the right cut when people are away, away from him. So that's the type of thing that a player has to have: be able to dribble a ball, put it on the floor, and shoot a shot. So you're saying all those guys back in your time, you know, the superstars, they, they'd have no problem playing today. Well, let me, let's name some from the Knicks. Let's the Knicks. Walt Bell, uh, Willis Reed, Bill Bradley, DeBusher, Earl Monroe, Walt Frazier. Yeah. You think they could have played this in this day and age? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean I, even though I think now that the players are more athletic, and, and the way they jump or whatnot. But but years ago, the centers didn't leave them in front of the basket. Uh, they, if their man could have gone downstairs and taken a shower, they were still going to protect the basket. Now, uh, they got this thing, to, they're going to change the rules and mess up this thing so bad that, that if the center goes out to the top of the circuit, you have to follow him as a defensive center. And he's not going to make any shots out there. If he starts to make the shots, you go out and get him. Right. But, right. they, but, the, but the rules are things have changed every so often to, to enable certain players. And you, you know that as well as I do. Yeah. Does, it, does it bother you, Oscar, as it does me, that, you know, Elgin Baylor dies and people suddenly discover how great he was or they're finally talking about how great he was. I mean, there are just so many players, including yourself, that just don't, don't get the recognition that baseball players, old baseball players do today. You know, like 
when I was growing up, we knew who Ty Cobb was and Tris Speaker and Nap Lajoie and all that stuff. But they talk about Elgin Baylor. I mean, I watch shows. People go, man, this guy was really good. Really? You know what happens, Peter? Guys like you who wrote who understood basketball, you moved on. You know, you, you, know, you got in there, and all of a sudden, here comes all these young kids out of college who follow straight A's, and, and they, they read a sports page, and they think they know everything about basketball. And here, and here again, you know, I think with the Elgin situation, if I can recall it, he, he, he wasn't doing that well with the management, with the, with the Clippers. And I think that hurt him. I think that hurt him immensely. Because uh, as great as he was, he got, he got no press from, from the players. And, he, and, you see, and you see guys and man, I'll say this, and then I'll, then I'll move on. They get on TV and they talk like, fuck, when a guy dumps the ball, they want to jump out of their skin. You know, he, he, even the commentator just hoop, holler, brave. It's only one basket. Right, right. Yeah, you're right, though, Oscar. It, it, uh, his legacy was tainted by by uh, being a general manager for so many years that didn't do that well with the Clippers. Um, you know, again, I, I sat down with him years ago, and he told me something uh, that his, his goal when he came into the NBA was to average 20 rebounds a game. And I was like, what? You're 6'5". What are you talking about? And he said, well, look it up. He says, I almost averaged 20 rebounds my first two years in the league. And I didn't know that. And I looked it up, and then he injured his, injured his knee. Yes. And then he was only able to average 13 or 15 rebounds again. That's, that's correct. <laughs> and look, and, look, and look, look, at the, look at the top guys today in basketball. <laughs> if they can get 13, maybe, maybe 14. They don't, they don't get 14. I'm going to say 13. They said they're number top five all-time, all-time greatest state they're the best. The best thing since sliced bread. You know, you know what gets me on television? Everybody's the greatest, right? Yeah. You know, well, this, is, this is this is why you have the championship basketball thing. See who's the greatest, you know. But everybody's the greatest, you know. Like they, they pick an MVP too soon in basketball during the regular right. season. Yeah, they're talking soon. about it. In the, they're talking about it. Fifteen games into the season, who's who's leading so, candidate for MVP? Well, I, I, I think sometimes you know, you know. Uh, they don't like the same guy to get the award all the time. I'll tell you that for a fact. So, so LeBron, LeBron can stand a chance to get it this year. Right. Yeah, I know. That's why supposedly they gave it to Carl Malone instead of Jordan that one year. They said Michael had had enough. Hey, let me let me go backwards with you, Oscar, if you don't mind. Sure. Christmas Addicts. Christmas Addicts. Your your high school team was the first black team to win a state championship nationwide. Nationwide, that's correct. What was it like in those days for you playing playing in that in that atmosphere, that environment? Well, I, I grew up in Indianapolis, on the west side of town, in the ghetto. Uh, I had an older brother, Baker Robertson, who played, and uh, and I saw they would watch him a little bit and watch some of the other players on the team play. And, you know, we, we were all black, and we played almost basketball, baseball, or some kind of sport every day. Then then my brother hit a shot and got a, got him into the finals in 1951, and they got beat by a team called Evansville or something, Evansville Whites, I believe. And from that point on, you know, it, it, just, it just 
it just seemed, it seemed to be able to put some some some, some gas in, into everybody, all the guys around there, to be able to get back there and, and, and try and try to win that championship. But you know, we 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 didn't we didn't have any 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 goals in mind. To be honest, I must say, in those days, we just wanted to play. Uh, you know, uh, we had no had no contact with, with whites whatsoever. <laughs> Although I, I did most of the, most of my white friends were guys I played against. I, I got to know those guys. We became good, real good friends with a lot of the guys. But other than that, you know, we're just an all-black team on on the court, working together. We all knew each other. We played in the parks together all over the city, and that's how we came together. And what was the reaction from the state, from the city, to to you guys winning it? Well, there was a couple of reactions, really. I, I think I think that uh, that uh, doing the doing the finals, we played against Gary Roosevelt, which was a, an all-black team in itself. And that and that's a story, but anyway, they they had they had the cheerleaders from all the schools, all all the all the schools to join Christmas addicts cheerleaders and root for us. Instead of calling us Christmas addicts, they call us Indianapolis addicts. Uh, so that's and and Peter, it did just it just moved things forward as far as race relations like crazy in Indianapolis. There was there was a coach named Charlie Moss who went to. Arsenal Technical High School, which was about five thousand students, if you can believe that, mm. he was so, he was so enraged about us winning the state championships that he said, he, he said he's tired of these black kids going over to Christmas Attics all the time. So he, I think they passed a rule so that if you lived in this section section of town, you had to go to that school. Right, 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 right. I read somewhere that when you uh, you had a parade or something when you won it, but you were afraid. You were afraid to, to to bring the parade through town. Tell me about that. Well, we weren't afraid to go through town. You know, and the custom is that when you won a championship, they would take you on fire trucks from the Butler Field House, which is where we played, down to town, and they let you out in the middle of the town, which is called the Circle. Therefore, they let you out where you would party and hoop law and do all the things that all the other champions would do. Until you got tired and went home. But with Christmas addicts, you know, they they, they felt that uh, that we would tear the city up, and that maybe the city didn't want any black kids downtown in, in, in the, on the circle. And so, therefore, they took us on the on the fire truck, stopped us momentarily to let the mayor speak to us about something, which I don't know what it was now. And then back out to a place called Northwestern Park, which was all black, and we had a big bonfire. From that point on, that, that that's what happened. Yeah, so things haven't changed all that much, have they? <laughs> they, did it, they did it the next year, too, Peter. And, and, yeah, I, I really? and, and, and fortunately, I, I had a little experience with that, so I didn't even go to the parade. I didn't ride downtown on the, on the fire trucks at all. I went, I went home. Right. Oscar, let me, again, uh, let me go somewhere else with you. Um, yes. In 1970, the NBA and the ABA had had a uh, had an agreement to merge, and you filed a lawsuit, an antitrust lawsuit against the NBA. I suppose. Um, what made what made you do that? And uh, well, tell me that first. What what was that? Larry Fleischer, the was he the guy that that. Uh, was behind that. He was the executive director of the union. I don't even, yeah, of the union. Yeah. Yes, he was. Uh, Peter, what we did in those days when that happened, we felt it was collusion with, with the owners to try to stifle competition. 
but more than that, we talked to the other other associations with football, baseball, and, and whatever to get a get a feel of what was really going on. And we just we just felt that that this was not the right thing to do. That uh, the NBA had 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 a had coerced or talked this ABA into coming over. But what they were going to do, Peter, they didn't bring all the teams over. They brought a few over. And some of the teams just went kaput. Kaput, I should say, out of the way. Right. right, right. But look, looking back, I mean, I, I understand I understand the competition. Uh, and, and, you know, there was going to be more money for, for the players on both sides if there wasn't a merger. But looking back, Oscar, you know, the, the, the way the players the, today, there are like 108 ABA players eligible for a pension these days, you know, that, that are alive today. You know, so the merger or the consolidation was was delayed six years. I mean, I, to me, it just it just robbed so many players of recognition, and then it robbed them of a pension. You think about that at no, all? No, no. Let me, let, me, let me correct you a little bit. All right. Did the, did the ABA have a pension? Uh, no. Did the NBA, well, why why would the NBA have a pension for players who played in the ABA? Why? Why would they? Well, it, they don't have to. That's for sure. But if they came into the NBA, they would well, have had a pension. If they came into the NBA, then they, they would have a pension. Yes, that, that is that is correct. They had a, when they came to the NBA, they had a pension at that point. Yes, and then today they still have that pension. As a matter of fact, they they're also a member of the Retired Players Association, and that, and the Retired Players Association got some former Harlem Globetrotters, and also they got the women. I think they got the women included in it as well. I, I, I might stand corrected on that, but you can check that to be sure. But the ABA players still don't have a pension. I mean, it, it's coming. I believe it's coming very soon that the NBA is going to take care of the ones who are left. But I'm uh, just saying, I'm just saying those six well, years. Okay, let me, let me say this though, Peter. Uh, I understand that that you know, in, in, in order to qualify for the NBA pension, you have to play four years. Uh, three, I believe. Three. Was it, yeah. was it three? Well, yeah. Three. Okay. So, so. If if they didn't play the three years, then the the once they play three years in the in the NBA, then they go back and get the years they played in the ABA. Yeah, yeah, you could. Yes, it would count three years in the ABA. Now, I'm not saying that. Um, yeah, there are 108 no, no. players who were eligible three years or more in the ABA. Yeah, that they. Would well, do. I understand. I, th I think. I think. I think. The, the, this is this is the problem. This is probably why the ABA owners wanted wanted to come over. They didn't want to get involved in the costs and everything. Set all those things up. Because they knew they, it was a matter of competition with, with television and, and memorabilia and everything else. I, you know, because if, I mean, I, I, I don't know why. I mean, but no, I mean, we talk, I'm sure we talked about this. I don't recall the major conversation in it as far as giving, a, giving players that played in the, in the ABA pension rights before they, before they ever got in the, in the NBA. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think we ever agreed to do that. Yeah. Who who is uh, besides Curry? Who is who is a favorite guy that you love to watch today? You have one? Few? Oh yeah, I like several guys. Like, who do you I like? like I like LeBron. I like I like I definitely like Westbrook. I like I like to see Harden play. Uh, I like the the Greek and Milwaukee. You know, they're, they're just there's a there are a lot of outstanding players. How about the Joker? Well, then, Joker, he's, he's a he's he's a he's a he's a he's a unique individual. Of, uh, he plays with his head as well. He's, he's very very well. He learned a lot playing overseas. I must tell you, 
and, yeah. and for, for a guy that can't jump very well and and uh, he, he gets it done. He stands on the floor, shoots hook shots over the top of me. He's got a he's got a great outside shot. He makes it fake. Takes him maybe ten seconds to get go fifteen feet. So he, he's, a, he's an old school. He's an old school center. And, well, and yeah, but if you, if you think about that, look at all, look at all of the foreign players who played who who are real legitimate pivot man, Peter. They're all good players. Right. 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 Yeah, no, no, they come over here with much better fundamentals and, uh, you know, better better uh, teamwork, possibly. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from these guys, but uh, I, I, I do love watching the Europeans play. I do not like the Euro step, Oscar. I think that... Uh, <laughs> well, no, first, first of all, you're, you, you're old enough to watch, watch Cy Green play, didn't you? Oh, of course I saw Cy Green. Duquesne? Sure. Yeah, he did. That's what he did. He would step around you. Really? He had that move? But they, but they, didn't, they didn't call it the Euro step then. And I, I, I can't tell you how many times I stepped around players going to the basket. But now now all of a sudden, some, some guy who never played basketball, I'm telling you right now, who never played basketball, said, oh, the Euro step, isn't that great? And you, you, years ago, we always called that traveling. <laughs> You know, this is true. Years ago, when you did that, referees would call you tra call traveling on you. But that that's my point. You know, I, I remember playing this playing this kid in the playground once. You know, and we were just going at it for a long, long time and point game. And he he took about four steps. You know, did all this stuff. I said, "Man, you can't do that." And he goes, "What are you talking about? Earl Monroe does it." <laughs> <laughs> well, Earl used to stand with the ball and cuff it and whatnot. So. Yeah, but you know, here again, great basketball player. I must tell you, he 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 didn't look the part. He he didn't he didn't look like he could play very well. But man, was he great! He 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 is an unbelievable. Player. I hope to have him on the podcast one of these days. This guy has gone through like thirty-five major surgeries since he, oh. since he retired. I mean, well, it's, it's an amazing thing. If he's gone through that many, he should get several medals for that. I'm telling you, yeah, surgeries, surgeries are not very easy. Oscar, let me bring you back one more time to to a to a game at Cutcher's. See if you remember it. I um, I was the only writer who was allowed to play in the old timers game when it oh. became... <laughs> You remember? Good for you. No, do you remember it? Yeah, I remember Cutcher's very well. Played no, no, no. Do you remember me playing in the game? No, I do not. I'm sorry. All right, let me let me let me uh, let me revive your memory here. So so it was me, you, and Pistol on one team and you guys were in the backcourt and Dolph Shays was the coach. And about midway into the first quarter, Dolph Shays sends me in for you. <laughs> Did I come out? Did I come out? <laughs> no. <laughs> and you said, there ain't no freaking way that I am coming out and re being replaced by a sports writer. <laughs> oh, <come> you, <laughs> you were serious? No, no. And 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 uh, Sat Sanders had to go out on the court and put his arm around you and, and take you off the court for me to get into the game. You remember hey, it now? Did I have my uniform on when I came up there? I, I may have been in the army then. <laughs> you were you had your uniform on. It was nineteen. It was nineteen eighty seven. Pistol won the MVP, and then oh, six yeah. months six months later, he died of a heart attack. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. wow! Well, I, I hope you forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I forgive you. I understood perfectly. I thought it was hilarious. I said, "This guy, this guy's competitive spirit is unbelievable." You know? 
<laughs> no, I loved it, Oscar. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I tell you what, Peter, those those were great games in those days. Because yeah, Will came, Russell came, and and, and uh, except I don't know if Kareem came. Kareem came in the beginning. Yeah, Kareem came. Yep. Uh, I don't remember Kareem coming at all when I played. I have a picture. Oh, yeah, I have a picture of you okay. with, with Wilt, Kareem, yeah. and, uh, and 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 uh, Stokes, and, and I think Campanola too. I think Campanola was in the photo, uh, and they were in wheelchairs. Yes, and they were in wheelchairs. Okay, yep. all right. Yep. Okay, I know. And it was a, it was a real classic game, and this was a game people look forward to seeing, man. Yeah, and coaches with all those stars playing out there, and, and the. And boy, and the coaches, they loved it. It was great for them to do that. You know, they should get a medal for hosting those games like that. Well, for the people you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because one of my many pet peeves is that uh, Helen, Helen Kutcher and Milt Kutcher have not been inducted into the Hall of Fame as, as uh, contributors. Oh. They were taking care of indigent players after Stokes even passed. Yes, they did. I, they just ignore them. It, it, it's ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you this, you know, I'm not that close to the Hall of Fame anymore. I think, well, I think maybe Wayne is still on the board. I'm not sure. It's just, something, it's just something that is involved. It's a, it's a, 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 that a lot of people who, like the Cutchers, who did so much to us to help basketball in, in their day, should have should be recognized. And it's un unbelievable that they aren't. Uh, so I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I mean, uh, I, mean I think you should keep pushing. And talk to someone who's involved with that to try to get them in there. Well, I do. I'd push, but uh, they they do the Euro step around me. Oh, oh, oh they, they still got that Euro step going. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bring back Frank because we're gonna we're gonna say say goodbye to you, uh, Oscar. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it, man. Frank, say you got a few words for Oscar. This is my thought. First of all, Oscar, it's a pleasure. Peter, not so much. Um, <laughs> what do you say, uh, in lieu of the lovely parting gifts, we organize another game. This time, you come in for him. <laughs> well, I don't you know, like I, that idea. I'll tell you a story about coming in. I was in, a, I was in an all-star softball game here in Cincinnati. And I'm playing center field, and, and I ran down two balls. And you know, um, the next thing I know, the next inning, I, I'm in the outfield. I see this one guy who was a, he was about six foot, weighed about 275 pounds, running out the center field. He said, he said, Oscar, I'm in for you. I said, the hell you are. Get out of here. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oscar, no. irreplaceable. <laughs> no, listen, no, Oscar. Oscar, I would like, I would like to have a nickel for every time I read the word incomparable before your name. Well, you know, you know, you know, it's, 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 you know, it, 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 I, I enjoyed the game, and I tell you, it, it, even though I was put in this, into a situation in Cincinnati where there was, there was a lot of there was a lot of pressure on me to to perform, and I, and I, and I did. I'm glad they did it because it made me a better basketball player. As as we see, as we see, as noted, as the statistics prove, Oscar, a, a thrill for me as usual to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking the time. God Peter, bless, Peter. Anytime, you guys take care. God bless. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you for listening to Hoop Du Jour with moi, Peter Vesey, and column castigator Frank Drucker. 
You can listen to all Hoop Du Jour interviews by searching Legends Studios wherever you get your podcasts.